Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is Make It Kind. Make It Kind. M.I.P. With Masamela Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Make It Kind. Get woke. Tony Browder, totally during Black History Month once again. Happy to have him here with us as he walks us through our history and antiquity. He's the founder and director, as we all know, of IKG Cultural Resources, ikg-info.com. Currently the director of the ASA Restoration Project, which is funding the excavation and restoration of three 25th Dynasty tombs of Kushite noblemen on the West Bank of Luxor, Egypt. He's led more than 30 archaeological missions to Egypt since 2009 authored or co-authored 14 publications, which are currently used in classrooms around the world. Welcome back, my brother. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you for hosting me throughout the entire month, man. I appreciate it. Well, uh, we're appreciative of you putting this work in with us and and for the community uh, and, and for the world. We are so thankful for that, Tony. So, you know, I was thinking yesterday uh, some people say Valentine's Day. I say Ancestor Frederick Douglass Day also. And I think about brothers like Frederick Douglass. I think about um, Marcus Garvey, Du Bois, uh, Malcolm Martin. And just, I wonder if you ever do this. Do you ever think about, and, and the Sheroes too, Harry Tubman, Ida B. Wells, all of them. Mm-hmm. Do, do, do you ever wonder because you know we all are evolving. Everything we're talking about this month, everything Tony and I are talking about this month, ladies and gentlemen, there will be generations coming behind us with even more knowledge and information and more discovery built upon what we are acknowledging and learning today. That's how human evolution works. More will be uncovered. And Tony has already alluded to uh, some areas 
uh, be they in the Sudan or Ethiopia, that eventually we have to do more discovery in, okay? And so all of these great people in our history, I, I wonder what would have happened if, if what you have uncovered, if they had been exposed to that <laughs> in their lifetime. And how even we talk about how revolutionary they were back then, but imagine if if they were armed with the information we have about who we are and who, where we really come from. Have you ever thought about that? I have, my brother, and I've come to the conclusion that uh, one of the reasons why uh, African enslaved Africans were not allowed to read or write was that if we could say where we came from, who we were, what our professions were, how we worshiped the creator, what we had built, what we had contributed to culture and civilization, that would help to undermine the efforts to enslave our minds and our bodies. So they knew exactly what they were doing when they made illiteracy something to be proud of amongst our community. So we have an obligation and responsibility, I say now, to read for all of those ancestors who were not allowed to read. We have to write for all of those ancestors who were not allowed to put pen to paper and document their story. We have to do this now. And particularly it's important because we find many of our young children don't have the benefit of being taught by teachers who look like them and teachers who have a vested interest in preparing these children for the world, the racist world that they know that they're going to inhabit. That doesn't exist anymore. You know, over 70% of all teachers in, in urban classrooms are white women who are intimidated by the presence of young black boys. So if we don't step up and realize that true education begins in the household and make libraries in our homes and demonstrate to our children how conscientious adults honor the legacy of their ancestors by reading their stories, not just during February, but every month of the year, showing their children how the importance of having intelligent dialogue and conversation so that we can expand our consciousnesses and move out into society, into the community, acting like we're people with knowledge and who, who are duly concerned about the sacrifices that have been made by all the generations who came before us. And speaking of this heart holiday, it seems to me the true manifestation of love is love of not of not only others but of the collective self in particular love of our culture love mm -hmm. of our history can you talk to us about that tony the the concept of of love in fact and itself and how that appears sure. when it comes to uh comedic understanding our understanding in antiquity you know uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you master Miller. It, it it took me a while in my adulthood to fully understand what Dr. King was talking about when he said we're going to overcome the hatred of our enemies with love. I, I thought it was so foolish until, you know, I really <laughs> came to understand the power of hate and how hate destroys the heart of the person who harbors the hate more than it does the object of their hatred. And so love now makes um, perfectly good sense if you understand the power of love to transform consciousness, right? So if you think about the symbol for love is a heart, the symbol for, for Valentine's Day is the hearts that you see on cards and balloons. In ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt, 
the heart was considered to be the seat of the soul, the seat of consciousness, right? And so this association with the heart, consciousness, and love was so important that, uh, as I stated uh, in a previous conversation that we had earlier this month, at the scene of the weighing of the soul, the heart of the deceased was placed opposite the scale of my eye, and that person had to declare that they've not lied, they've not committed uh, 14 offenses that would be injurious to their well-being in the eyes of the creator. And if they were telling the truth, then that scale would balance out and their heart would be as light as a feather. So these are concepts and ideas that go back to the Nile Valley that speak to lessons that these brothers and sisters can impart to us right now if we have the ears to hear and the good sense to recognize the value of these messages. Yes, sir, Ab absolutely. More MIP after this message. So last episode, you enlightened us about the goddess Newt uh, and her representation of the Milky Way. Yes. Do we also owe our knowledge of the stars generally and in specific the astrological signs to our comedic ancestors yes we can say that without uh, without question we know that the very first calendar of 365 and a quarter days was developed in the nile valley and was used as early as 4,230 BC. The very, first, the very same calendar that we use today of 365 and a quarter days was developed by Africans in the Nile Valley. Now, the only way that they could have developed that calendar was by studying the heavens, clocking sunrises and sunsets over the course of hundreds, maybe even thousands of years before they recognized the patterns that appear daily monthly and annually and figured out how this cycle works. So in, in Kemet, there was um, a city known as, uh, known by its Greek name today, Heliopolis, the city of the sun. And that is where these ancient astronomers worked. That's where they mapped out uh, the relationship between earth and the sun, earth and the heavens and gave us a blueprint, if you will, on how to conduct our lives. And in the creation of the calendar, they identified that there were groups of stars or constellations that, that moved across the sky in a specific identifiable pattern. And so what they did was they carved out a 10% portion of the sky and the stars that appeared within that 10% portion of the sky constituted the 10 day week in ancient Egypt. So there were uh, 36 groups, 36 times 10 gives you 360. This is where we get the concept of 360 degrees in a circle. It also gives us the idea of 365 days in a year. Uh, well, 360, um, 36 Netru times 10 gives us um, 36 weeks in the Egyptian calendar year. And then they added five days at the end of the year, which were the days in which the gods, if you will, help to bring humans to earth. So those five days give us now the calendar year of 365 and a quarter days. And again, the most important thing that we have to remember 
is that the study of the heavens was was documented in such a way in an allegorical form such that those people who did not have this scientific acumen could begin to relate to the calendar the weeks of the calendar the months of the calendar the seasons of the year based on metaphors that were associated with the days of the week or the seasons of the year so that this information could be ingrained into the psyche of the common people who were for the most part illiterate and there would be rituals holidays or holy days uh, assigned to the appearance of specific stars constellations in, in the sky so the, our, our concept to, 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 just to, to add one more point our concept of astrology uh is rooted in these concepts and principles more mip after this message so when we talk about astrology too tony we're also talking about and i guess i presume when you say metaphors we're talking about some of the uh, the symbols uh, uh images and forms different um the astrological signs astrological signs say so the, the sign of leo i'm a leo right and so the sign of leo was associated with the appearance of these stars that made up the constellation constellation of leo the lion uh leo falls in july and august and that particular season was a very hot season uh in africa where the lions could be seen searching for water so that became the icon of that period of time so all of the all of the uh, 12 uh, zodiacal signs are associated with activities on earth that were determined by the appearance of these stars or constellations in the heavens during certain months of the year so it was codifying um astronomy for the purposes of socialization socializing the people in the nation and you talked to us about that before too how things were presented um often in the context of nature and, and and natural imagery so that people could understand them exactly. even better so my and, question and the, I'm sorry. the word nature is derived from the african word nature which identifies a principle or aspect of the creator now and and all of those images all of those individuals newt ma'at make up the plural nature yes. correct so here's my question then to you now the astrological signs and images leo i'm a sad sagittarius all of these mm -hmm. um were those uh, uh, heavenly bodies so to speak were they included in the nature uh, uh, rephrase that to make sure i understand your question so for example is is is, is leo the lion um included in the nature were the were those astrological metaphors likenesses images also mm -hmm. considered part of the nature okay so, so yeah uh now i i do want to make this point that the astrological signs as we know them today have have come down through us through the greeks who came into egypt much later so in egypt now there is a temple called the zodiac of dendera and there was a a um a zodiac that lists all 12 of the astrological signs on the ceiling which napoleon's men 
dynamited from the ceiling uh, when they were there in uh, the, uh, the late uh, 18th century. And that object, the Zodiac of Dendera, is now in the Louvre Museum. So what we see then is the Egyptian use of astrological signs that we are familiar with, but that came after Egypt was conquered by the Greeks. Now, prior to uh, the Greek use of those symbols, you do not see those same symbols in the history of Kemet. So that was something that came later. However, to your point about, um, let's say, for example, to get back to the sign of Leo the lion, what has been discovered recently in a uh, critical analysis of, of the statue of Heramaket, the statue that the Greeks called the Sphinx, is that by looking at this, this new science of archaeoastronomy, that is looking at architectural structures and symbols um, and their relationship to astronomy, what they have found is that the statue known as Heramaket was built to, to look at the helical rising of this image in the sky of the constellation of Leo the lion. And that occurrence uh, appears to have occurred prior to the date associated with the construction of Heramaket, the so-called Sphinx. So that's created a conundrum among Egyptologists. So we have, we have scientists, we have astrophysicists who now bring their scientific knowledge to Egyptian history and they're reanalyzing all of these things and coming up with the dates that appear to push back the beginning of Kemetic culture and civilization thousands of years, thousands of years. And that information, much of that information has been suppressed because it does not fit into the uh, accepted chronology of, of humankind, human advancement, and more specifically, European advancement. Because if these things were created before the presence of European history and culture, then that puts them further behind the eight ball and it begs the question, who were these Africans? Where did they get this knowledge? And why don't more of us know about this history? Yeah, no, that's important. Man, what's up with, with that Napoleon dude? So what, he just, what, was he actually trying to um, dissolve our history or was he just stealing stuff to take it back to Lou to make some money off of it? Well, what I feel strongly is that Napoleon understood what many great leaders of ancient times understood, that Egypt represents the best of human accomplishments and that they felt that there was knowledge to be found in Egypt that would assist them in their quest to conquer the world. So Alexander came to Egypt because of that reason. Caesar came to Egypt um, because of that reason. Napoleon came to Egypt because of that reason. And so what Napoleon discovered was that um, <laughs> he said, there's a famous quote from him at the Battle of the, uh, at the, Battle of the Pyramids where they were fighting uh, the agents of the, of the Arabs who were there at that time for control of the land. As he spoke to his soldiers, thousands of soldiers assembled near the pyramid, he told them that, um, you know, 5,000 years of history looks down upon you. And so they were about to make their mark. It's also been said that um, Napoleon's troops were responsible for shooting the nose and the lips off of Heramaket. That's something that Dr. Ben often said, um, and that Napoleon was responsible for um, repeating the words of the French 
um, philosopher Voltaire after Hera Marquette was disfigured that history is a lie agreed upon. So we do know that um, I've been able to find through my research that there has been a, a pattern among Napoleon's soldiers of occupying a new territory and disfiguring historic uh, relics. Uh, when they were in Italy, um, conquering Italy, there was a uh, monastery at um, Maria de Grassa Monastery where in the dining hall, uh, Michelangelo had painted this, one of the most famous paintings in the world, The Last Supper. When Napoleon's troops had conquered that part of Italy, they used that dining hall as a stable for their horses and their soldiers used that painting as target practice. So there is a history of Napoleon specifically uh, defaming um, ancient um, historic monuments simply because he could. Hence the Napoleonic complex, y'all. Uh, that's where some of it comes from. All right, folks, uh, ikg-info.com. Also, ASA, ASA, restorationproject.com to find out about all the great work that Tony Brown is doing. He's with us every day during Black History Month. Tony, talk tomorrow. Thank you, brother. All right, brother. Take care. Peace. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.